Thanks for tuning in. One of the things that makes a show like Outcasting possible is financial support from listeners like you. Please visit us at mfpg.org and click on support to make your tax-deductible contribution. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. Living a quote-unquote conventional life, that's not important to me. Growing up, I really believe the reason that I couldn't deal with my sexuality. I grew up in the 1950s and 60s, and there just wasn't the vocabulary for it. There wasn't, I, I, there was no way to really understand. The only way to um, understand it were totally negative ways. I certainly didn't want that. And I loved kids. I very much wanted to be a dad. There was only one way to do that, to get married to a woman and have children. And now they're new traditions, you know? Now you can marry someone of the same gender and you can have children or not. You have those options. Those options weren't there. But as I said, for me, the most important thing is to live in loving connection with other people. That can take all kinds of different forms. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York, online at outcastingmedia.org. Hi, I'm Dhruv. On this edition of Outcasting, Outcaster Jamie speaks with Jim Howe, a well-known author, about his experience coming out as gay while he was married to a woman and how his life changed after that. This is the second part in an Outcasting series on gay parenting. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. When did you come out, and how old was your daughter? I came out in 1997. My daughter was just a few weeks away from her 10th birthday. So she would have been in the fifth grade. What was the process of coming out to your wife? When it comes to coming out, probably in general, there's no exactly. Everybody does it in their own way, and sometimes it's a bumpy, rough process. Uh, coming out within a marriage, definitely a bumpy process. I struggled with the question of my sexual identity for most of my life, and I just reached a point where I felt I had to deal with it. I was in therapy, talking about it, trying to figure out how do I deal with this. So as many people do, I think, uh, on their way to coming out as gay, I first came out as bisexual and told my wife about five years before I actually came out as gay that I was attracted to men as well as women, and that I was bisexual, uh, but that I was committed to staying in our marriage. I didn't know what that meant in terms of uh, what, do, what do we do about this now, or what do I do about it now? And in fact, that's a question that she raised to me a year or so later after we were kind of living with this, and she finally said, so now what? What do we do with this information, you know? In a way, I felt like I went back in the closet because once I had said, okay, I'm bi and I'm going to stay in the marriage, I didn't have anywhere to go with that particularly. And so I just, everything kind of went back, stuffed back inside, you know, and I didn't tell anyone else. 
it was it was kind of a now more of a shared secret. The catalyst actually for me finally to come out is I was in. A, it's going to sound a little strange, perhaps, but I was in a car accident and I had a concussion, and the effect of that is somehow I really grasped the idea that the body and mind are not separate and that my body was simply telling me, you have to deal, you have, you know, you can't keep living like this. And it was like I was just kind of shutting down, you know, like uh, energetically and everything. And so I really worked hard in therapy and got help in other ways to come to terms. And then finally, because I understood ultimately if I was really going to come out and be who I am, that would mean leaving my marriage. And that was a very hard thing to have to face and deal with. And and ultimately, that is what happened when I finally came out. Can you expand on what your experience was like being married and closeted? Well, you know, I was closeted. For one thing, I was, um, I was married before. I married a woman right out of college. We were dating together in college. We got married at the age of 23. So in my 20s, I was also closeted and married. But I think over time, because the times change and one's awareness changes, and certainly what it meant to be gay or just the societal acceptance. Well, uh, there's a long way to go before we can use that word at that time. But being gay became more visible, became something that I had more of uh, an awareness of what it might mean to be gay. For a long time, I just couldn't even imagine how I would ever be that person. I didn't see a life that made sense to me. I very, very much wanted to be a dad. I wanted to have children. I wanted to have that experience. I wanted I wanted that mainstream experience, I guess, of marriage and family, but particularly wanted to be a dad. I became an uncle at a very young age, and I loved kids, and I, I, I this is what I wanted. And I couldn't see any way to have that. And so I made the choice very early on to be with a woman, to, to be married, and I essentially cut off the gay part of myself. I compartmentalized it. Compartmentalizing sometimes can work for you. There are lots of ways to make that work. But when you compartmentalize in certain ways, as in you compartmentalize what you see as the bad part of yourself, that's not a healthy thing. And that's what I did. I never acted on being gay. I lived a straight life within a straight marriage and ultimately did have my first wife uh, died young, died at 31 of cancer, and uh, we did not have children. And when I remarried, I mean, we both very much wanted children, my second wife and I, and I just stuffed that part down again, you know, and, and uh, but kept thinking of it as sort of the bad me and the good me. Um, and it took a long time and it was very much part of the process of what enabled me to come out to be able to look at that part of myself as good, as healthy, as just who I am and who, and who I wanted to be. How did having both a wife and a child make it harder to come out and live the life you wanted to live? Well, as I said, I think the, the answer to that is, um, has to do with divorce and knowing I was going to end my marriage and knowing that I was going to 
change forever what was the family, not just for myself, but for two other people, including my young child. And that was a very, very hard thing to do. And that's why I said that I tried. I tried, and my wife and I talked about it. Are there ways for me to live with my sexuality in a more open way within the marriage? And we 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 understood that that was not possible. And I knew that uh, I was going to have to make this choice. And it was by far the hardest thing I've ever done. It It's still painful to me that that was the price that I I had to pay and two other people had to pay, but it was the only way. And for my own well-being and happiness, it was absolutely not just the best choice, but the only choice if I was going to be able to really be who, who I am. How did you coming out affect your daughter's school life if it, had any, if it had any effect at all? I don't know that that it had an effect on her school life. She was just beginning to go through a very painful, difficult time socially, um, as I think a lot of us know what that can be like in middle school particularly. And so I, I, I don't know that this piece had an effect on her. I don't recall that there was ever, in fact, the day after I told, telling her that I was gay was coupled with telling her that I was leaving, that her mom and I were separating, and that was the reason. So she got a lot of information at once that was really painful and hard for her, and she asked me a lot of questions that night about what it meant to be gay, and, you know, when did I know, and how how it was that it was, that I was dealing with this now, and she also immediately called her favorite cousin, who was a, an adult, and talked with them on the phone about it. It was really pretty incredible how she was processing all this. And she said she wanted to go to school the next day. She was in the fifth grade, and she went to her teacher, who was a very favorite teacher of hers, and told her right away what had happened. And the teacher just kind of kept an eye on her and you know, was very supportive. I don't know that she told other her friends or other people in school. I was very concerned that she would feel a, a responsibility to become a defender of LGBT rights or something, or, you know, that, that would become a something weighing on her. But that was not the case at all. I can't say that it, it really was an issue. It wasn't as much talked about it. I'm trying to think. I don't think there was even a gay-straight alliance in her school at that time, or even in the high school. And then she actually went to a, a private school starting in the ninth grade, and absolutely it was not remotely an issue in that school. She's very strong. Yeah. She's 29 now, and I was just speaking to her earlier today, and I said, I'm going to go to this interview tonight um, about gay parenting. And she said, you mean parenting? <laughs> and I loved that because that's just that's, that's who she is, you know. It's like... Uh, why are we calling it gay parenting? It's parenting, you know, a parent's a parent. Anyway, so uh, it just jumped into my head. Sure. Uh, I just want to say when we were thinking about doing this episode, that was one of the things that we wanted it to show, Mm -hmm. that gay parenting is just parenting. Right, right. Everyone goes through um, divorces. Everyone goes through different life experiences as a parent. Yeah. Um, And it doesn't it doesn't change based on your sexuality. Right, right. And I think we're I think we're very much evolving you know, to where we understand that more and more. 
Um, it's also why when you said, how do I identify, I said as a human, because, you know, I, I, I personally embraced the, the word gay when I came out. It was really important to me to be able to say, I'm gay, you know, after all this, a lifetime in the closet, I own that word proudly, but I also don't see that that's my identity, you know? And one of the things that actually was really shocking to me and made me really angry after I came out was, I remember thinking, oh my God, this, this is not a big deal. This is just a part of who I am. And I've spent my whole life making this so huge. I lived with so much fear of what if people knew this about me? What would happen, you know, they, and, and, then, and then to realize, oh, it's just a piece of who I am, that's all. It made me kind of angry because I was like, wow, I wasted a lot of time and energy on that, you know? Um, it's, it's not a big thing to you, but society has made it a big thing? Yes, yes, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, I have to be very careful about saying that because I've actually said that to kids when I've gone into schools and talked, you know, and I've had to catch myself to say, wait, don't misunderstand me. It is a big thing. And it still is a big thing to me, too. Um, and it is a big thing to society and society, you know, quote unquote, society. Those who choose to have made it into a very big thing. And who you are is a big thing. All I mean is that I had kind of bought into the way that others had defined it as a big thing in a negative way. And that's the part that I was sort of shocked and angered in, in thinking it's not true in that way. What support systems did you find while you were in the process of coming out? That is a great question because I came out at a very different time. So this was in the mid to late 90s that I was dealing with all this. And there was no internet hard as it is to believe. And in fact, the support that I found was, was going to an LGBT bookstore in New York. And in that bookstore, I saw a flyer for a men's group that was men who identified as gay or bi who were in marriages to women. And I had been just hoping for something like that. And the first time I walked in, I was also getting support from a therapist, and I was finding other ways to get support, too. But the first time I walked into that group, and there maybe were five or six men altogether in the group at that time, and we started talking, I thought, this is the first time anywhere that I'm not having to translate anything I'm saying, that everyone in this room gets it. We're all you know, in the same boat. We had different personal goals. I mean, some men were very much of the mind they wanted to stay in their marriages. Some were open with their wives. Some were closeted. Some wanted to leave, them, or if not wanting to leave, were, were seeing that that was the path they were going to follow. And so that was certainly true for me. And I was in that group for, uh, I don't know, maybe three years or so as I worked through all this, and that was a major, major support for me. How else were the arts a support system for you? The arts are a support system for me, period, <laughs> in life. And certainly reading books, fiction and nonfiction, just anything I could find that would help me see myself 
mirrored in some way, if it was a character in a book or the struggle I was going through mirrored or a book that would just help me understand myself better. There were two in particular that I can think of that really helped me. And there was one about a man who, by a man who um, came out in midlife and left a marriage and and talked about developmentally what it is to be a gay man, especially gay men, more of the time that I was coming of age and, and um, dealing with everything. And that book actually was something of a Bible to, to a lot of middle-aged gay men who were dealing with these issues and who were coming out at that point in their lives. And the other book was, I think, was called Refusing to Be a Man, and it had to do with gender construct and gender politics. And it really helped me understand that I, it kind of freed me from the constraints of thinking about myself as male in terms of sort of measuring myself against a, a rigid notion of what it meant to be male. And that, that helped enormously. Certainly, I was looking in movies and plays and art, anywhere I could see, I can remember going to, to movies by myself that I would not tell my wife I was going to see because it was a story that was too close to home and I didn't want the discomfort of seeing that with her and having to have a conversation about it. There weren't that many movies around that actually had gay characters or portrayed them in positive ways. And that's another thing. You know, I was a, I'm a writer. I write for uh, children and young adults. I was very, very aware of what young adult books were out there with gay characters. And I made a point of reading everything that came along, and I even for a time was would speak at different conferences and do, um, well, there's like Pride Works in our area here, and uh, Glisten had national conferences that they don't do in quite the same way anymore. And I did book talk uh, presentations there, and the, there was a change over time to much more positive images of gay young people or LGBT young people in the books. And when it started, there were not that many. When I started looking, there were not that many. So that that changed. And then as when I came out, I, I wrote a book called The Misfits, which had a 12-year-old gay character because I wanted to put that image of someone that young who's clear, he's gay, who is who he is, and feels very positive about himself, and it, and it's viewed within the book that this is natural. This is just his development as a human being, and it's, it's just as natural as any, anyone else's. So that young people growing up now, as opposed to when I was growing up, would have very different images out there and role models. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, produced by Media for the Public Good in New York, online at outcastingmedia.org. On this edition, Outcaster Jamie is talking with Jim Howe, a well-known author about gay parenting. What's something you would like straight parents to know about raising LGBTQ youth? Do your best to see your child for who they are. And that can be very tough because we all have all, all those filters that we put everything through, of, you know, our projections of ourselves on our children, our projections of what we hope for and wish for and what we're comfortable with and what we imagine our family looks like, what we imagine our children look like and what their future and our future as we imagine it looks like. And it can really be work to 
pay real attention not just to your child, but to yourself, and to be able to step back sometimes and say, oh, I see. This is who I imagine my child to be or I want my child to be. But this is not who my child is. Who is my child? Who is this person? Let's see. And I, I have friends who are so good at this because they not only do this, but they take delight. And they'll say, I don't know where this kid came from, you know. <laughs> you know, but isn't it wonderful? You know, and as much as possible, that's what we should be doing. You know, we should be not looking at our children as something we project on or problems to be solved or a repository of our dreams and hopes and ambitions and disappointments. But, you know, as who shows up, you know, who's, who is this? I think for specifically for when you have a child who is LGBTQ, it's hard, I think, sometimes for parents to understand the other. If we see someone as an other because they're just they're different from us in a, in a fundamental way that we've just never thought about. We've never thought, what is it like to be that? Or there may be something that's scary about that or off-putting or as often happens for straight parents with LGBTQ kids, there's fear and a desire to protect. And I think that really is changing. And I do believe we're going to come to a point and we're getting there where those are not going to be issues, but they still are for a lot of people. And so I guess I would say in that, in those instances, you need to really not only do that work of letting your child be the person they are and being supportive and celebratory of that unique person, but also educate yourself. And I mean that both intellectually and emotionally. Address the fears you have or the narrow comfort zone you're living with within so you can expand. We all want our children to f grow and flourish and be who they are. If we're held in by our own constraints and our own fears, they're looking to us to be the ones who are going to water them and nurture them and help them grow. And that requires a spaciousness and an openness. You can't tamp it down, tamp the plant down and think it's going to grow. But first you have to do the work where you're comfortable not tamping down. You're comfortable encouraging that growth. That was a great answer. Oh, thanks. Why do you think some people believe that homosexual people shouldn't have or raise children? And how would you respond to these concerns? Hmm. <laughs> That's when I have kind of a visceral reaction to. <laughs> like, you know, I want to just say, get over it, you know. But um, I, you know, I've. This is this is me trying to understand someone who thinks very differently from me. You know, it's. I have to really think. Okay, where is that coming from? What's that about? Um. And I think where I come to with that is that I think a major stumbling block always, and it's still a stumbling block, is that sexual identity is just way too often equated with sex. And that that's, that's this, that's, um, it's not a, a, well, it is a fear, but it's, it's that idea that being homosexual means being sexual in ways that are just really uncomfortable 
to some people and that's what they where they immediately go i'm guessing i mean i don't i i don't necessarily mean consciously but they they kind of just can't get past that that that's sort of what it's about um and that i think societally that is really changing um there's no question there's still people who are uncomfortable with it um and i don't i guess the only answer i would have in a, as a practical answer to those people would be to say get to know some gay parented families you know get to know some people who are um uh, you know just get to know some lgbt people you know uh, uh whether they're individuals, they're couples, or certainly if you're concerned about parenting, get to know them as parents. And you'll find that they're just parents, you know, and they have the same concerns and worries you do. And, uh, you know, homosexuality is no more about sex than heterosexuality is. How important is a traditional lifestyle, a.k.a. marriage and having kids, to you? At this point in my life, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. Growing up, it was really important. And as a young, as earlier, well, I guess in some ways I'd have to say, I'm not sure the answer because I've had it. So I've satisfied whatever that was. So, you know, would I necessarily make the same choice now? I I don't know, probably. Um, It is important to me, not in the sense that I'd like to think that living a quote unquote conventional life, that's not important to me. But living a life of real connectedness with people you love, that's important. In fact, growing up, I, I, I really believe the reason that I couldn't deal with my sexuality. Uh, first of all, I had no, you know, I grew up in the 1950s and 60s and there just wasn't the vocabulary for it. There wasn't, I, I, there was no way to really understand. The only way to um, understand it were, were totally negative ways. And so I certainly didn't want that. And this, I had three older brothers, considerably older, all of whom got married in their 20s, all of whom had started having children in their 20s. And I became an uncle when I was, my first, my oldest brother got married when I was seven. And I believe I was 10 when he had, they had their first child. And then there were a number of other nephews and nieces who came along when I was young. And I just, I loved kids. I very much wanted to be a dad. And there was only one way to do that, you know, and that was to get married to a woman and have children. And now, um, so now we're talking about tradition or traditional um, they're new traditions, you know. Now you can marry someone of the same gender, and and you can have children or not. You can make you have those options. Those options weren't there, but as I said, for me, the most important thing is to live in loving connection with other people. That can take all kinds of different forms, and so it doesn't have to be a traditional family, and it doesn't have to involve having children. But I think love is pretty darn important. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it, too. That's it for this edition of Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program. 
where you don't have to be queer to be here. This program has been produced by the Outcasting team, including youth participants Alex, Samantha, Andrea, Max, Quinn, Nico, Lauren, Dante, Lucas, Jamie, Sarah, Brianna, and me, Druve. Our assistant producers are Alex Mintz and Josh Valley, and our executive producer is Mark Sophus. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York. More information about Outcasting is available at outcastingmedia.org. You'll find information about the show, listen links for all Outcasting episodes, and the podcast link. Outcasting is also on social media. Connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. If you're having trouble, whether it's at home or school or just with yourself, call the Trevor Project hotline at 866-488-7386 or visit them online at thetrevorproject.org. The Trevor Project is an organization dedicated to LGBTQ youth suicide prevention. Call them if you have a problem. Seriously, don't be scared. They even have an online chat you can use if you don't want to talk on the phone. Again, the number is 866-488-7386. Being different isn't a reason to hate or hurt yourself. You can also find a link on our site, outcastingmedia.org, under Outcasting LGBTQ Resources. I'm Drew. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this edition of Outcasting, please make a tax-deductible gift to Media for the Public Good. We can't do programs like this without your support. Visit mfpg.org and click on Support. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. Thanks.